Hello, good morning. I am Pastor Edward Bangwe from Good Shepherd Evangelical Lutheran Church in Rotspark, Lusaka, Zambia. This is the fifth Sunday in the season of Lent, and our text is coming from the Gospel of Luke, chapter nine, chapter twenty, verses nine through nineteen. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruits of the vineyard. But the servant beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let us come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. Dear friends in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if we were using modern day phrases, and if we were looking at things from a purely non-spiritual point of view, as just a moment in history, we might say the wars were beginning to close on Jesus. His opponents had had enough. Recent events and the undeniable recognition they as religious leaders were losing their influence and control over the people had pushed them over to the edge. For some time they knew he had to go, but now they were in the active planning stage of deciding just how to make it happen. And the conversation, like the one recorded in our text for today, only sped up the process. When did this happen? It is the Tuesday of the Holy Week. Jesus is teaching at the temple in Jerusalem, a crowd that gathered to hear him. Among those listening were the religious leaders of the day. They interrupted Jesus and challenged him on his right to teach there. And then Jesus disarmed them with his answer. And then that's when he told them the parable that is our text today. Now, how do we understand this parable? The key to unlocking this parable is found in a word picture and spiritual correlation that would be familiar to anyone listening to Jesus at the time, but may not be so apparent to all of us today. 
It's found in the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 5, where Israel, that is the people of God, is called God's vineyard. Get that. And it is not hard to connect the dots of what Jesus is saying. He was pointing out how the religious leaders had the history of shamefully mistreating the people God sent them, that is prophets, and at this very moment they were plotting to kill his own son. In doing so, Jesus tells them they would bring God's crushing judgment on themselves. Jesus knew what was going on behind the scenes, and the religious leaders also knew that Jesus knew what was going on. They also understood how Jesus had identified them as people who had no faith, all of which led them to a deeper level of hatred. Now, what are we to make of these words of Jesus? Was he trying to purposefully call out and publicly humiliate a group of self-righteous people? Was he clapping back at those who were clearly out to get him? Was he standing up to the spiritual bullies of his day? The answer is no. It is important, friends, for us to remember that the people who were now challenging Jesus are the same people he wept over twice. The same people he had in mind when he uttered his first words on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. The intent of this parable was not to produce embarrassment, but repentance. This parable was not spoken with a hint of vindictiveness. It was spoken firmly, but in love to help the religious leaders of Jesus they see the error of their ways and the wrong-headedness of the direction they were going. In other way, this parable was an urgent appeal. Friends, in our Lord Jesus, it is the same for us. Maybe you are saying, what do you mean? I'm not sure I see the connection. After all, we are not enemies of Jesus. We are just the opposite of the people speaks about in this parable. We are not faithless. We are the faithful. And by God's grace and goodness, we are right. But that doesn't mean there is nothing beyond its historical application that we can learn from this parable and apply to our lives. We can learn two lessons in particular. The first one is this. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Are you familiar with those words? They are commonly attributed to someone in the 16th century. He supposedly said them as he watched a group of prisoners being led to their execution. As an expression, it's come to mean if it were not for God's grace, we could easily find ourselves being someone else or in someone else's shoes. What is the point? The point is that knowing what we know about the religious leaders that Jesus confronted throughout his ministry, it is easy to shake our heads and condemn them as being rotten, self-absorbed, and people had no pity. But when we read about them, let us be sure we do more than that. Let us also recognize in them where our sinful nature could take us if it is left unchecked. 
let us recognize that every time we take pride in ourselves apart from the grace of God which he has given us, every time we start thinking we are a little better or perhaps a little more Christian than someone else, every time we sit in judgment on a sinner rather than the sin, thinking it is unimaginable that we could ever do the same thing, every time we excuse ourselves from walking the walk by more vocally talking the talk, we too are showing the same quality we find so shameful in the religious leaders in our text. Friends, during this Lenten season, we are reminded where we didn't go. Where is it that we didn't go? We didn't go to the cross as our sin deserved. But Jesus did for us. We won't suffer punishment in hell for our disobedience to God. Jesus did that for three agonizing hours on Good Friday for us. And he did it so we may go to a place where on our own we have no right to go. And that place is paradise where we will be forever. Understanding grace is the remedy for spiritual arrogance. Where we have failed to appreciate God's grace in our lives, when we have been convicted of sin through the words of Jesus, let us repent. Rather than double down and get defensive as did the religious leaders Jesus spoke to with this parable. Understanding grace is also the rich spiritual soul that naturally produces abundant fruit. That is the second lesson we can learn from this parable. When we keep in mind the image of God's people as his vineyard, Jesus reminds us that faith in him is not just an intellectual exercise, but a life and lifestyle that shows its genuineness and its authenticity by its actions. In other words, the Christian life bears fruit. May I ask this question? Have you ever struggled with the genuine desire to be a better Christian? I would guess most of us have. Better yet, I would hope all of us have. But think about this. Why should this be a struggle? Maybe because we too often focus on what we are to do rather than what we are. One, <clears throat> from the time of the person that a certain man who was a missionary in India who was thinking about himself about what he can do from that from the time when he heard the word about not striving to have faith but to increase our faith but looking to the faithful one seems to be all we need abiding in love one entirely from time and eternity. From that time, that missionary was a different man. He didn't work endless, they said, but now no longer as a man who struggled, rather as a man who was being used. So Bible reading was not a chore to check off on the list of things I must do today to be a better Christian. 
but a daily desire to commune with God. What is the point? The point is, fall in love with Jesus and his word and fruit bearing comes naturally. When we focus on what we are, what we do take care of itself. Learn from the mistakes of others. Understand God's grace in our lives. Do not confuse the life of faith with outwardly doing rather than inwardly being. Desire to bear fruit to, for God and daily replenish the soil in which it grows. This is Jesus' urgent appeal to each of us today. And what Jesus asks of us, he also empowers in us as we stay close to him. God grant it. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you loved the world and gave your Son to liberate us from sin and death by his obedient death on the cross. Lord of the Church, we thank you for the treasure of the Gospel. By your Spirit, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and perfect of our faith. Strengthen our determination to do what pleases you, no matter what the danger or the cost. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for everything that you give us day after day. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who died for us. Amen.